today too. So. Um, have you ever felt like, like God told you something, God spoke to you, he gave you something to do, and you stepped out and tried to do it and felt like you just got like hit on every single side? It's like God spoke to you, you had a plan, you step out, and all of a sudden your life looks like a Jackie Chan fight scene. It's like you're getting hit by someone here, you don't even have time to deal with this guy you just knocked out, you got to take that guy you knocked out to knock out the next guy. You catch a staff over here, you don't even have time to set it down, you got to block another staff coming on this side. Sometimes life feels like that when we try and step out and be obedient to God. I don't usually make it a, a point to quote Mike Tyson in my sermons, He's kind of a crazy person to be quoting, period, so don't make a, a point of that in your life. But he said, someone was talking to him about um, this guy that he was going to fight. And he, they were saying, like, this is the plan that this guy had. And he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's how life feels sometimes. It's like we have a plan. It feels like a good plan until we get punched in the mouth. Um, I want you guys to hear this morning's uh, message in relationship to something that you feel like God has spoken to you. Maybe it was a promise that he gave you. Maybe it was a dream that's always been in your heart. Maybe it was some specific um, instruction that he gave you. Maybe he said, maybe he said, I want to heal your family or I want to do something great in your marriage. Or maybe God said to you, I want you to be a worship leader or a missionary. Or maybe I want you to share your faith with your, a friend or a family. Um, but I want you guys to hear this morning's message in relationship to something that he spoke to you. So when I said that, for some of you, probably something like popped into your mind like right away, and you had something specific that God spoke to you, and you're like, this is a thing. But maybe for some of you, you're not sure. So I want to take a second and pray. Lord, I thank you that we could be together this morning. I thank you that you're a God that speaks to each one of us. You love us. You took us from slaves and made us sons. Lord, I ask you to bring back to people's memory this morning something that you've spoken to them. Maybe it was something that you spoke to them a long time ago that they've forgotten. Maybe it was a dream they've had in their heart for a long time. I ask you to bring it back to their memory right now. In your name I pray, amen. This morning's uh, text that we're going to look at is something that, it's a scripture that probably most of you have heard or read, maybe even hundreds of times. It's Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think it's important to understand the context of this verse if we don't understand the context of what was going on, we can say what the Bible says, but not really understand what it means. And we can use verses to try and do things that weren't really the original intent. So this verse was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to a church in a city called Philippi, which is why it's called Philippians. So it was a letter that he wrote to a church. Uh, Paul was um, traveling around and ministering and preaching the gospel everywhere that he went. And he went to Philippi, and he preached there a bunch of times. And when he was there, he shared the gospel with some of these people that became a part of the church for the first time. So Paul led some of these people to Christ. Other ones he encouraged, other ones he challenged. Paul had had a big influence on this church. And then Paul's traveling around and ministering, and while he's preaching the gospel, 
he gets arrested, thrown in jail, and chained up. So there's this person who has had a big influence on this church at Philippi. They hear that he gets chained up and thrown in prison, and they're really worried about him. Like, they love Paul. They're concerned about him. And so Paul writes them this letter. And in this letter, he says a bunch of different things. He says, I've learned to be content with much and with little, when my belly's full and when my belly's empty. He says, I'm okay, like, don't worry about me. He said, this situation is actually a good thing. There are people that are coming to know Christ. There are people that are being encouraged. People are becoming bold in their faith. He said, I'm doing all right. And then he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's not saying, I can get out of this situation that I don't want to be in right now through Christ who strengthens me. Or I can get into some situation that I want to get into through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I read this verse a few weeks ago, when I wrote the outline for this sermon, um, I read it and I realized that there's a few different mentalities that we can read this verse with, and there's a few different mentalities that we can approach this thing that God has spoken to us, this dream or this promise or this instruction that he gave us. There's different mentalities that we can approach that with. And I want to talk about those mentalities this morning, and I want you to be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord this morning and see if you see any of these mentalities in your own life in the way that you have approached this promise or this word from God. Does everybody have like a word or a promise in their mind, something that God spoke to them? Yeah? You guys got something in mind? Okay. All right, so I want you to be honest with yourself this morning and see if any of these mentalities show up in your life. The first mentality that I see is the victim. The victim is the person with a mentality that has their eyes fixed on the situation. They take, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they change it. And what they say is, I could do it if dot, dot, dot. I could do it if I had a husband or a wife that would support me. I could do it if my kids weren't so selfish. I could do it if I was more gifted. I could do it if I had more money. I could do it if I had a boss that wasn't so mean. That wasn't my victim mentality there, I promise. I could do it if I had someone that would just see the good in me. I could do it if I didn't come from such a twisted and messed up family. I could do it if someone would just believe in me. How many of you have said those kinds of things? Um, would anybody be, maybe some of you, the thing that God spoke to you wouldn't be appropriate to share here, but probably the most of you it would be. Would anybody feel comfortable to share what the dream is or the thing is that God spoke to them? Any takers? I'll call you out. I ain't scared. Yes, ma'am. Let's go with one. That's awesome. Okay, so that's a promise that God has given her. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So something that a victim might say with that promise from God, that dream from God, is me and my house would serve the Lord if my husband would get his act together. Not saying that that's what Gene is saying. Me and my house would serve the Lord if I had a good example of someone who did this. What does a house that even serves the Lord even look like? I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. So for me and my house, we would serve the Lord 
if we didn't have all these problems in our family. Like we would love to serve the Lord, but we're kind of a mess. So it's this kind of stuff that a victim might say. I saw a good example of this in the scripture in John chapter 5, and I want to read it to you guys this morning. This is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in this condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well and walked. Jesus asked this man, Do you want to be made well? If you're someone who struggles with a victim mentality, if you always have a reason why you can't do what God told you to do, if you always have an excuse for why you can't be who God said you can be, then I want you to hear Jesus ask you this question this morning. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? That almost seems like a mean thing for Jesus to say. Like this dude has been laying here with an infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? Like the guy's like, uh, you know, I'd be like, is water wet? You know, like, of course I want to be made well. That's why I'm here. I'm waiting for the water to get stirred so I can get in. Like, do you think I like not having legs that work? Were you under the impression? Because I would appreciate legs that work. Like, yes, I want to be made well. So it seems like Jesus is being mean. Like, of course this guy would want to be made well. But the truth is, I think sometimes we don't want to be made well. I think sometimes we would rather stay in the situation that we're in and complain about it than we'd rather get up and see something change in our situation. Sometimes we'd rather complain about it. Sometimes we'd rather whine about it. Some of us sometimes, we would say something like, well, I wanted to be made well a long time ago, but I've been disappointed so many times. I, like, I, can't, I don't even want to get my hopes up again and be disappointed again. I mean, imagine how many times this guy got his hopes up that he could get into the water. But he's like, I, I don't even have it in me anymore to stir up the hope for that. And maybe some of you feel like that too. But I want to hear, I want you to hear Jesus ask you this morning, do you want to be made well? This man exposes his victim's mentality in the way that he responds to Jesus. The first thing he says is, I don't have any friends to help me get into the pool. Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? And he says, I don't even have any friends to help me get in the pool. And then he exposes it again when he says, I try and get in the pool, but someone always gets in before me. I can't get in there in time. Jesus asked this man to do something that was impossible. And oftentimes, Jesus confronts our victim's mentality by asking us to do something that's impossible. He told this man to rise, pick up his bed, and walk. This guy couldn't rise, he couldn't pick up his bed, and he couldn't walk. He had no reason to put his faith in his feet. He had no reason to put his faith in his legs. But he did put his faith in Jesus. 
And if you want to get over the victim's mentality in your life, the way that you get over the victim's mentality is you take a step of obedience and you obey God and rise and get up and walk. Being, being made well requires letting go of your victim's mentality and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you struggle with a victim's mentality, I want you to hear Jesus ask you this morning, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And if you, if you say, you know what, I do want to be made well. I don't want to have this victim's mentality anymore. Then I would encourage you to take a step of obedience, a step of faith, and do whatever he tells you to do. Amen? So the first mentality that I see people approach this dream or this thing that God has spoken to them with is the victim's mentality. They have their eyes fixed on the situation. The second one is the proud person. The proud person has his eyes on his ability. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. Do you have room for God in your thoughts? Or do you just like immediately in every situation jump to figuring everything out on your own? Like, do you even consult God or consider God? Or do you just figure it out on your own? Jump right into action. One problem with a proud person is they almost never see their pride. They almost never have any idea that they have pride in their hearts. They look at these people with a victim's mentality and they say they made these choices to end up in this situation that they're in. It's their own fault. Don't ask me to help you in your situation. I made wise decisions to set up my life the way that it is. I can do all things. With proper planning, with my mind, with my strength, with my money, I can do this. When they read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, they stop at, I can do all things. So because the proud person so many times has no idea that they're pride, that they have pride in their heart, I came up with a few places that the proud person exposes themselves. And again, I want you to be honest with yourself this morning and be honest with the Lord and see if the way that you approach this dream that God has spoken to you, this thing that he um, has spoken to you, see if you see pride in yourself in any of these places. The first place that the proud person exposes themselves is being ultra-independent. The problem with being ultra-independent is the proud person's life is marked by loneliness. You don't like the fact that you're isolated, but your pride prohibits you from building relationships because you would have to depend on other people. Sometimes what's required for relationships or friendships doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't add up. Sometimes it's not equitable. Sometimes it's sacrificial. The proud person doesn't usually have much room for relationships in their life. They feel like they don't need it. They feel like it would be inconvenient. And the proud person ends up feeling alone in life. That's really sad because none of us are made to be alone. We were designed by God to be in relationship. No, no matter how extroverted or introverted you are, we were all designed to be in relationship. So it's really sad that the, the person who's proud and independent ends up feeling alone. But what's way, way worse than that, and I've seen this, is the person that's ultra-independent usually ends up feeling far from God. It's really sad that they would feel far from people and feel alone but they end up feeling far from God because the same thing inside of them that makes them not want to rely on people for relationship 
makes them not want to rely on God for relationship. The second place that the proud person exposes themselves is despising the weak, or those with the victim's mentality. The problem with the proud person despising the weak is that you're despising people that Jesus loves and has called you to love. If Jesus were walking on earth today, he might rather, if you're someone who struggles with pride, he might rather hang out with a weak person than hang out with you. When Jesus walked on earth, he didn't have a problem with people who were weak. He didn't have a problem with people's weakness. He didn't have a problem with people's sin. He hung out with sinners all the time. He hung out with people that were weak all the time. And he enjoyed it. In fact, he gathered up a bunch of weak people and surrounded himself with them. They were called the disciples. These people were weak, frail people. The only people that Jesus dealt harshly with when he was on earth were people that were full of pride. Those are the only people he dealt harshly with. People with a victim's mentality are not people that you're called to love once they get over their victim's mentality. Once they get their stuff together, once they stop being annoying, once they stop making mistakes, once they stop driving you crazy, these are people that you're called to love today, right where they're at, right in the midst of their mess. And I want to add a little thing here for uh, people who, just, who struggle with pride and despise the weak. You're not as strong as you think you are. The mask that you wear of strength that you hold up for everyone to see is just that. It's a mask. We're all weak. Every single one of us is weak. So maybe you should stop despising the people who are weak because you and I are both one of them. The third place that um, the, pr- the proud person exposes themselves is being self-righteous. The problem with you being self-righteous is the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's like, isn't that kind of harsh? Like, I feel like I had a really good week. Like, I overcame uh, temptation. I was tempted to sin, but I didn't sin. I was really nice to this person. Like, I used to be a real jerk. I was horrible, but now I'm pretty nice to most people. Like, I feel like I'm doing pretty well. Isn't that kind of harsh to say my righteousness is as filthy rags? So the Bible says something else about your righteousness. It says there is none who is righteous. And then as if the writer knew that you were going to be like, well, he doesn't really mean none. It's like, it might be a couple. It's like, nope, nope, not even one. Not even one who is righteous. None of us are righteous. And the thing that's so bad about us becoming self-righteous is we take this immeasurably valuable incredible gift of grace that was given to us the shed blood of jesus christ i mean the god who made heaven and earth he sent his son to die to make each one of us righteous when we're self-righteous what we do is we take that valuable gift and we make it super cheap it's like i earned my righteousness by overcoming a little temptation and i stopped speeding and I had a pretty good attitude when I used to have a bad attitude, so I feel like I'm doing pretty good at earning my righteousness. It's like, that is so cheap. That's not even a big deal at all. Like, you did kind of well for half of a day. Bravo, you know? Like, our righteousness was bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more valuable, and we cheapen it to be us that did well for a little while. The Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament, and he says about himself, he says, I am chief among sinners. 
He knew his righteousness had absolutely nothing to do with him. It was all Jesus. The proud person has a small God because you don't need a big God because you can handle it on your own. At least you think you can. One example of someone in the Bible who struggled with pride was Peter. And again, this should make you feel good because Peter was like, he was a a main character in the Bible. He was close to Jesus. So if you struggle with pride, God can save you just like he saved Peter. But God comes to, Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, look, you're going to deny me. And instead of Peter like taking a humble approach when Jesus is talking to him, like I think I would take a humble approach, hopefully. Like Peter's like, no, I'm not going to deny you. I'll never deny you. It ain't going to happen. You can count on it. In fact, they can kill me and take me to the grave and my allegiance will stand to you. They can kill me if they want to and I will never deny you. That's what he said to Jesus when Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And just like Jesus said, Peter denied him. Are you ultra-independent? Do you despise the weak? Or are you self-righteous? Are you willing this morning for God to confront your pride? So many times the proud position ends up in a place of failure. And I can do all things turns into I can do nothing. Peter denied Christ. And then eventually, after he denies Christ, when he realizes what he's done, we find Peter, proud Peter, who said, I will never deny you. I'll take, take my allegiance to you to the grave. Collapses on the ground in a ball, weeping, realizing what he's done. Proud Peter is now on a, on a, in a ball on the ground crying. And he says, you know what? I'm nothing. Like, this was pointless. I don't even know why I bothered to be any different. I'm just going to go back to fishing. Pride almost always comes before a fall. So here we have Peter on his knees, weeping and broken, saying, I am nothing. And that brings me to the third mentality, the falsely humble person. The falsely humble person has his focus on his weakness. I kind of wrote down some things that would help you understand what, what the, who the falsely humble person is and see if you can see yourself here. The falsely humble person is fearful of correction or feed, feedback. They're preoccupied with anxious concern for oneself. The falsely humble person has to one-up everyone with how hard their situation is. You guys know what I mean by that? Like the person who goes to visit someone in the hospital with a broken leg, and it's like, oh, you broke your leg, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I broke mine in 12 places. Really, yeah. But it was in uh, 1977, during that blizzard. I, no, I didn't stop going to school. I didn't even go to the hospital. I just reset that bone myself. Uh, no, we didn't close school. I mean, yeah, 20-foot snow drifts. We just, no, I, I crawled through it, broken leg and all. And I broke the other one the next day, too, but... Um, I know you're experiencing some pain, but I've experienced it times a thousand, and I didn't cry like you, you little baby. (laughs) The falsely humble person is overly dependent on what others think. If people think you did a good job, then you're like living on a high. If they think you didn't do a good job, then you're crushed and even depressed. The falsely humble person has a self-defeating mindset. They think I'm a failure, I'm worthless. I can't do anything. No one likes me. I'll just go eat worms. 
The falsely humble person has an inability to laugh at themselves, and sometimes they take things too personally. False humility has its faith in our ability to fail. False humility doesn't have faith in the God who says he'll go with us. False humility looks at our shortcomings and says, well, I am who I am, instead of having faith in the God who gave us the promise. One example in the Bible of someone who struggled with false humility was Moses. God comes to Moses and he says, I want you to confront Pharaoh. And Moses says right away, he's like, I can't speak well. Like, I can't even talk. How am I going to go confront Moses? And it's not like God heard him say that and was like, oh, you can't speak well? I'm sorry, I didn't realize. My bad. Like, let me go find someone else and I'll take care of my plan for humanity with that way. You just go take care of the sheep. No, God says, Moses, I will go with you. When God told Moses, I want you to go and I want you to confront Pharaoh, his eyes were fixed on his weakness, his perceived weakness, his perceived shortcomings. One of my favorite quotes about humility is by C.S. Lewis. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The proud person has their eyes focused on their ability. The falsely humble person has their eyes focused on their inability. How many of you can be honest enough to say you have your eyes focused on your inability too much? You have your eyes fixed on your inability in a way that sometimes paralyzing you, paralyzes you from doing the thing that God told you to do or being who God called you to be. So the first, first uh, mentality that I saw was the victim mentality. The second was the proud, and the third was the falsely humble. The fourth is the in-Christ person. The in-Christ person has their eyes on Christ. I wrote this, the, I, wrote the, I started writing this message um, like maybe three weeks ago before I knew what my dad was going to preach on the, next, the last two weeks. And he spoke for two weeks on being in Christ. And I didn't know he was going to do that. When he did that, I thought, well, maybe I, shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't speak on this. But I realized it must be something that God wants us to understand. The mindset of the in Christ person is I can't do anything on my own, but I am not alone. I can't do anything on my own, but I'm not alone. This is Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven, earth, and the mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God is your guardian, right at your side to protect you, to shield you from sunstroke, shelter you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now, and he guards you always. The in Christ person has God on their side. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. Christ's power may rest on me, sounds like, through Christ who strengthens me. 
He strengthens you and me when we are in Christ, when you are connected and abiding in him. So I started thinking, what hinders us from abiding in him? What stops us from abiding in him? What stops us from staying connected to him? I believe the thing that stops us from abiding in him is not understanding or not believing our identity in Christ. Not understanding who we are in Christ or not believing it. I think some of us have heard who we are in Christ, but it's like that truth just seems too good to be true for some of us, and so we end up not believing it. How important is you understanding who you are in Christ? I could argue that it's the most important thing that you could ever understand in all of your life. It could affect everything. It could affect the way you work. It could affect every relationship you have. It could affect you obeying God and becoming who he said you could be or doing what he said you could do. One of my favorite portions of scripture that talks about understanding our identity in Christ and talks about how important it is is Romans 8. You should read it. I'm going to give you a brief little synopsis of it. This is talking about our identity in Christ. Romans 8 says the earth is literally groaning and travailing, waiting for you and me to understand who we are in Christ, waiting for the revelation of who we are to be revealed to us so that we could understand who we are in Christ. The earth is literally groaning right now. The Holy Spirit is groaning and interceding for us that we could understand who we are in Christ. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding in anticipation of you and me understanding who we are in Christ. So we have the earth literally crying out, like, you guys have to understand this. We have the Holy Spirit crying out and interceding for us, and Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me to understand who we are in Christ. I have to believe this revelation of us being sons and daughters in Christ is pretty significant. If the earth is crying out for it, the Holy Spirit is crying out and interceding, and Jesus is interceding, it's pretty important. When you see yourself as an adopted son or daughter, you know it wasn't in your own strength. There's nothing to have pride over. You don't have to play the victim. You don't have to feel bad about yourself and be falsely humble. The only thing you have to do is see yourself as a son or a daughter in Christ. When you see yourself in relationship to this dream or this promise or this thing that God has spoken to you, when you see yourself as a son or daughter of Christ, what can stop that dream from coming to be? Nothing. When you see yourself as a son or daughter, what can stop you from becoming who God has called you to be? Nothing. When you see yourself as a son or daughter of Christ, there is nothing that can stand in the way of the word that God has given you coming to be. The message of the in Christ person is I can do nothing on my own, but I can do all things because I am not alone. I have nothing to offer on my own, but I have everything to offer because I am not alone. I'm in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ who strengthens us to fulfill the promise, the dream that he gave us. Would you bow your heads this morning?
Let's just take a second and be honest this morning. Did you see yourself anywhere in any of those mentalities that I talked about? The victim who always has reasons why they can't do the thing that God called them to do or be the thing that God called them to be. The proud person. Do you sometimes struggle with being independent, with looking down on those who are weak or being self-righteous? Do you struggle with false humility? Do you hear God speak to you and tell you to do something and immediately come up with a list of reasons why you can't do it? Do you focus on your weakness right away? Lord, we want to be who you called us to be and do what you called us to do. We don't want to look back on these promises or these words from you and wonder why they didn't happen. So we ask you to confront those mentalities inside of us. If that's you this morning and you say, you know what, I saw a place where my mentality was something other than in Christ, I just want to ask you to stand this morning and let me pray for you. Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, I ask that you would bring revelation to each one this morning, that they would see themselves as a son or a daughter in Christ. No longer a slave. No longer controlled by fear. But a son or a daughter of God. Lord, it's only you that can bring that revelation. Lord, I ask that we would come into a season of renewed promises and dreams. Dreams that we had set aside and said, I I just don't even know what that means. Maybe I got that word from some prophet. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. Lord, I ask that there would be revelation of who we are in Christ, and we would pick those dreams and visions back up, and we would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I'm a son or daughter of God. I ask for renewed vision, renewed hope. Lord, like that man who was at the pool of Bethesda and had lost hope. Lord, I ask that you would stir hope in their hearts again. I just want to end by repeating that verse together. Would you guys say it with me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the truth. And if you don't believe it, then there's a mentality that I talked about that you're in conflict with. And I want to encourage you to ask God to give you revelation. Amen? All right, have a good week.